One of the practices or principles in our book that builds greater agency, uh, personal agency, is this idea of position yourself as a learner. So that helps when you're stuck, right? It, because positioning yourself to learn more about a, a particular problem or area, something you're struggling with, again, leads to the solution. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. My name is Ron Duran Jr., and I will be your blacksmith as we explore the world of adversity and doing hard things. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Paul, thank you for joining us today in The Forge. We're going to talk about your latest book, and I say latest book, I, I think it came out in 2019 if I'm correct, but it focuses on something that's fascinating to me, and that is something called agency, or maybe more appropriately called psychological agency. And so for the listeners that, that maybe are not familiar with that word, what would you say, Paul, is a working definition of agency? So thanks for having me, Ron. This is, it's great, really great to be on your podcast. Agency, really simply put, is, is the human capacity to make decisions and take action on those decisions. Now, of course, assumed is the idea that you'll make decisions that allow you to move yourself or move a situation to a better end, but it is the quality of the decisions we make and, and the actions that we take that really determine a lot in, in, our, in our lives. And, and it is agency, and sometimes it's referred to as personal agency, that, that gives us the wherewithal to, again, make decisions and then put those decisions into action. Okay, what if I were to say, Paul, all right, you need to elaborate a little bit more. What if I say, you know what, Paul, I make decisions every day. Does that mean I, I mean, is there such thing as good agency, bad agency? I mean, is there, is there different levels of this? Just because I'm making a decision, is that, does that imply that I'm making, that I have agency? Is it more than that? What would you say to questions like that? You know, yes, there are, there is, you know, you know, positive agency, and 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 you know bad and it's called bad agency it's interesting because if you do any research on the topic of human agency there's actually such a thing as moral agency which is that you make decisions you know from a more ethical and moral and so there you know so so there's different you know, so there are different ways to look at agency but agency is essentially personal power it's how much you know, power do you have to make the tough calls when you're faced with a tough decision and then obviously to move into action with that. So, so you know, agency is really, in effect, something that defines all of us in our lives, the extent to which we decide, desire to move in a desired direction and then our, our capacity to, to actually do that. That's, that's, that's an expression of our agency. It, it, you know, so again, another substitute construction of speech is personal power. It is your power to face a situation, define that situation, figure out what, if anything, you, you need or want to do about that situation and then, you know, to take action, to, to change it, to better it. So that, so in effect, agency is what's a lot, what has allowed human beings to make progress over time. 
you know, because it, it actually is our capacity to define the situation we find ourselves in, to figure out what we need to do about it, that, that really determines everything, right? It determines progress made in, in the world, both on an individual level and also on, you know, a, a group level or on a national level or, you know, on a civilizational level. It's our capacity to, to, to do that that defines, what defines the future. So it's a pretty all-encompassing con, uh, you know, concept, and I, I hope that's, that, that, that defines it you know, you know, adequately for people to grab hold of and see, see how it's relevant today. Because it, it, you know, clearly we're faced with a lot of disruptive change in the current context, and you know, as, as such, we're, we're, all, we're all needing to make decisions, make hopefully good decisions. So, so that's really kind of the, the, the central idea behind agency and why it matters. What, what happens, you know, I sometimes, and my friends will laugh at me, sometimes when I have a tough decision, I just get stuck. I don't know what to, you know, I, I, you know, call it paralysis by analysis, call it whatever it is. It's just that I can't make the call, right? It's a tough call to make. And I'm just thinking, I'm overthinking it. And, and I'm sure there's some listeners that are listening right now saying, Hey, Ron, I get you because I do this too. Is that, I mean, I'm trying to think what I would call that. Is that a low sense of agency? And do you have some tips on how do we get past that, that moment of being stuck? No, it's a great question. And, you know, of course, all of us have felt stuck at times in our lives. And, you know, whether it's when we're making, you know, when we're dealing with a specific situation or, or just in general, we, we, feel, we feel sort of stymied and stuck. So, you know, this is really where agency comes in because it, 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 it's our capacity to try to understand why we why we're stuck and you know one aspect of of agency is to have some self-awareness around uh, what we're feeling in the moment and try to try to understand better why we're feeling that and so you know this this sense of being stuck starts with one first acknowledging it that hey i don't seem to be making progress here and and if i really am honest with myself i feel i feel kind of stuck so so what to do when that happens, what can you know help you regroup and 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 you know get hold of your agency. You know, first of all, we we advise people to to when you feel stuck, take physical action simply by getting up from wherever you are, moving around, you know, physically moving around. When you when we oftentimes when we feel stuck. We actually are physically immobile and, you know, we're, we're sort of trying to figure something out. We may be actually even kind of sulking or, you know, <clears throat> physically. Anyway, when we are physically not moving, it actually enhances that, that feeling of stuckness. So one, get up and move around when you feel stuck. <clears throat> Second, figure out who can I, who can I pick up the phone and, and, and talk to about this issue? Someone, you know, do I have a trusted advisor, <clears throat> someone who may have a little more knowledge on the topic than I have, or someone who just can allow me to talk it through what, what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking? You know, one of the ways that we as humans solve problems is 
you know, relates to uh, our capacity to connect with other people. And sometimes literally just having a good good listener who is able to hear us out can help us find solutions to problems. So those are two very simple things we can do. But, you know, I think the other key thing that we can do is, is to try and engage our logical, more analytical reasoning skills and try to pull, literally pull the problem apart. Say, what am I dealing with here? Have I adequately defined this problem? You know, what is going on here? What are, what are the facts that I know? What are the facts I don't know? How do I understand this problem in a deeper way? Because sometimes, you know, engaging in that type of thought process <clears throat> provides the solution to the problem. It gives you insight that you didn't have. I think there's a whole host of things that you can do when you're stuck, but the last thing you want to do is stay stay physically immobile and stay isolated in your, in your own thoughts and literally allow yourself to steep in that feeling oh, yeah. of stuckness. That does not add any value. <laughs> no, those are great tips because I, I would say I, I use all of those and, you know, I'm a runner. And so a lot of times if I feel stuck, I'll go for a run. But I'm going to tell people that are listening, if you go, you know what, run? I don't like that running thing. Go for a walk and just get, I agree with you, Paul, just get moving. And a lot of times that frees up our brain to think about things a little bit differently. You know, no, you no, mentioned- no, no question. Yeah, no question, Ron. It, the psychologists talk about that is they call it changing set. And changing set is simply, you know, getting up and, and moving yourself to a new, a new physical space. And just like you said, it that oftentimes can you know jog our, us to think about something in a new. So running is great, walking is great, anything actually that it involves some physical movement and and gets you out of you know wherever wherever it is you're sitting, whether you're at your desk or <clears throat> your kitchen table or you know in your most comfortable chair, get up and move. Outstanding. And then you know you you talked about understanding self-awareness and so why why do i get stuck a lot of times most of the time when i get stuck it's fear right and so as as you know psychologists say you know name it to tame it right until we know what we're dealing with i say okay i'm I'm fearful of and then say what am i fearful of and then like you said be objective about that and say okay am i making stuff up in my head here what kind of story am i telling myself about this fear Usually we find out the fear is not as bad as, as we think it is, so that can help. And then lastly, uh, I'm just paraphrasing what you're saying here because I love all of this, is I'm, an, I'm, I'm slightly introverted. And, and sometimes I'll say, I don't, need to, I don't need social connection. And I would say even us introverts need social connection. We are social creatures. And don't discount the, the power of just connecting with somebody that, that you trust. So great tops. I mean, if we end the podcast right here, we've got some things for all of you to use that, that maybe will get you unstuck. So that's good stuff. You know, Ron, I want to make one quick point. Hopefully it'll be quick. One of the practices or principles in our book that builds greater agency, uh, personal agency, is this idea of position yourself as a learner. So that helps when you're stuck, right? It, because... Positioning yourself to learn more about a particular problem or area, something you're struggling with, again, leads to the solution. And so how you do that, one thing you do, obviously reach out to other people or another person who 
um, maybe a good listener, may have expertise in the area you're dealing with. But it, position yourself as a learner also involves having an understanding of your own learning style, your, your sort of go-to learning style. So if you're a more introverted person, a lot of times introverts, their go-to style for learning is they like to read. They like to study. They, you know, they, they like to look at data and, and read whatever's written about a topic. That's not a bad, that's, that's actually can be a helpful thing to, to do as well. But in general, especially when stuck, you want to, you kind of want to reach for a whole range of different ways to learn. So even for an introvert, yeah, reaching out to another person and talking something through is, is really helpful. I think, you know, but I think, you know, if you like to read, if you're that kind of person who likes to study something, you know, obviously do a Google search. See if there's something written on the topic. See if it, it helps you get unstuck. So, but it does help to have an awareness of what is your preferred learning style, you know, your kind of go-to style, because in general, when you're stuck, you oftentimes need more information. There's something you probably need to learn. And how you position yourself to do that, you know, how much curiosity and openness you have, you know, it will help you. It'll help you to get unstuck. Is there a point where that becomes harmful? And what I mean by that is I have a tendency to overthink things. And I, and I know because I've, I've spent some time thinking about why I do this, because if I think about it forever and ever, amen, I never have to act on it, right? And so where does consuming knowledge or, or acquiring knowledge, where does that kind of hit a peak of, okay, we, get, we need to move on? Do you have a, a sense of anything? Do you agree with that, number one? And number two, what is that sense of, okay, I've got enough information to make the decision? No, no, it's a great, it's actually a great question. And I, I completely agree that you can overdo something, you know, and, and it's, it's in line with the whole idea that anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right? <laughs> which is true for some of us. And so, you know, obviously, you know, you, you could be speaking to the more obsessive kind of personalities, which, you know, hold my hand up. <laughs> inclined, inclined towards perfectionism. And, and this is sometimes a hallmark of, you know, high intelligence where, you know, you're, you're acutely aware of what you don't know. And, you know, this is the issue, as, as we know, living in the current context, right, where there's a lot of change, a lot of challenge. We oftentimes need to make decisions without having perfect information, without knowing that something is is the right answer, you know? So, you know, I think this is where self-awareness comes in, which is so valuable to know if that is your style, if you tend toward, you know, being, you know, really obsessive or perfectionistic or, you know, or want really want to, to be 100% right, you know, challenge yourself to, to at times to realize, hey, I'm going to need to pull the trigger and make a decision here. You know, what, what about if I, you know, when am I going to cut, cut off exploration? Because you can explore something endlessly, right? You can, there's always another article to read or a book to read. I fall into the, that category sometimes myself. And you just, you know, you need to make a decision at a certain. So, so that really, that really does help. And one of the things that, that I would also say, last thing I'll say, is it really helps to if you have this problem, to encourage yourself to, to realize that, you know, most always you've got an opportunity to make a mid-course correction. 
So if you make a decision and it's not quite right, you know, it doesn't quite yield the results you're looking for, <clears throat> acknowledge it and figure out, okay, so maybe I need to pivot, you know, 20 degrees in, in a different direction here. So, you know, in general, we, we always have the ability to make a mid-course correction. Most decisions we make are not, you know, 100% final. Some are, you know, and obviously we want to strive to make make sure those are is as well thought through as possible. But there's no such thing as perfect information. And certainly in a world, a, a highly dynamic world, which really is only changing faster and faster. I and mean, it's a cliche to say it, but it's true. I mean, we just look around. The world moves towards complexity and, and towards change at an exponentially expanding rate. So this places significant uh, cognitive demands on, on all of us. And so that's why decision-making is such an incredibly important topic right now, because it is our decision-making that allows us to adapt to the situations we face. And you know, we can either adapt in a, in a healthy way that you know, takes us to a better place, or if we don't, if we don't make those decisions, you know, we're not going to adapt successfully to whatever whatever it is we're facing. So, you know, we are in a bit of an adaptive. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to say crisis, but it, it is it is close to that. I mean, we are we are in a situation that demands that we we adapt and we we adapt readily to a changing array of demands. And so that's really where agency comes in, because we need to make sure that we are of sound mind and body so that we're, you know, fit for duty, right? So we can show up and make good decisions that allow us to adapt. So, yeah. so anyway, that, that's my point. I was going to say, it's so paradoxical, though. I mean, for the most part, I, I know that our brains like novelty, but for the most part, our, our brains don't like uncertainty and change. But the paradoxical part of that is everything in life is change and, and there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. And, and so we've got to wrestle with this idea of my brain doesn't like this, but how do I get comfortable with this idea that life is about uncertainty and change? Right. But, but again, it makes my, it makes me uneasy when I don't know what's coming. Right. And so I don't know. I find that kind of like a wrestling match of how do I deal with that and not get overwhelmed by the, the idea that I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Any thoughts on that? You know, I think a lot has to do with <clears throat> what our expectations are. And I think you, your point is well taken. Most people, you know, if they're being honest, don't really like <clears throat> change or don't like a lot of change. You know, I think there are people who have <clears throat> gotten used to it. They have become more adaptable through practice. And, you know, it is one of those things that practice makes perfect. So as you learn how to adapt more readily, it becomes a bit easier. But most people don't like change. It's hard. It, it, and why is it hard? Well, it's hard because it forces us to have to think more deeply. And I want to be really clear here and brutally honest. You know, thinking is not, you know, thinking is not, our greatest strength as human beings, frankly. <laughs> we have to learn how to think. And you know, we are first and foremost emotional creatures before we're thinking creatures. And you know, in the current context, we see a lot of people in the world today who are just completely lost in their emotions. 
right? I mean, you know, they're, they're all about, you know, what they're feeling and their feelings are, are completely driving their thoughts. And, and so we see a lot of that today because the environment's so challenging. And so and what I want to say is it, it helps to acknowledge what your expectations are. And I'm encouraging people to say, to, to expect the, the world to, again, move toward complexity. So things are becoming more complex. So it's, it's best if you acknowledge that and really come to expect it, regardless of what it, whatever you're faced with, realize it's going to be probably more complicated than you want it to be. Right. And so when, when you're faced with, you know, a situation that demands that you uh, address it, that you, that you cha- make some changes possibly, you know, expect complexity and also expect that things are not going to stay the same. And so I think if you get your head around this idea that if you expect change and expect complexity, when you're faced with it, you're not going to be thrown off as much because you're not going to, you know, you're not going to rant and rave and say, oh, oh, why is it this way? Why is the world this way? You know, and it, it is, admittedly, it's hard. I mean, you know, we all face this and in small ways and in large ways. But I think if we acknowledge that this is where we're going, you know, there's to a certain extent, we can't necessarily change that. We don't have the power as individuals to entirely change it, at least on a macro level. But on a micro level, in terms of our own personal lives, we have a lot of power to to change or to decide how we are going to address it. But so I encourage people to expect it. And then when they face it, you know, it's, it doesn't become as daunting and they don't have as strong an emotional reaction to it. They just say, okay, you know, here we go. Here, you know, here we go. More change, more complexity. So what do I need to do about it? But again, the, the other point is just the challenge for us as humans when we are faced with change and complexity is it forces us to think more deeply. If Assuming we want, we want to get to the best solution and, and adapt, right? That we don't want to give way simply to, you know, our emotions. We want, we want to actually think something through. Thinking takes enormous energy for human beings. In fact, our brains use up the vast majority when we're thinking hard, use up the vast majority of, of all the energy in our body. So that, you know, when we eat food, our brains consume all those calories when we're engaged in, in deeper thought. So it, it takes a lot of energy for humans to think more deeply. Now, you know, over time, as you learn, as you grow and develop and become more educated and you, you sort of hopefully learn how to think more critically, which I also say is, is a really vital skill in today's world. We all need to learn how to think more critically. And again, you know, consistent with what I said a moment ago, that's not a human strength. It's not necessary. It's not something we come by. Naturally, we're not born with that. I mean, we were born with some of the, some of the, you know, the, 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 the rudimentary skills to become better thinkers, to become better critical thinkers. But we have to develop that. And, and it's kind of, a, it, it is a skill set for the 21st century. And a lot of people don't have it. You know, we, we see a lot of people, you know, in our day-to-day lives who are struggling. And, and one of the reasons they're struggling so, so much is, but they haven't learned how to think critically. And the world is demanding that of us more and more. So again, adjust your expectations, realize you're going to face change, you're going to face complexity. And also, I think, change your personal belief 
if you can, to a place where you say, I can, I, I am up to this challenge. I can actually, when I take the time and make the effort, I can figure out what I need to do to adapt to change and also to address complexity. I have the wherewithal to do that. It, it's going to take some time, possibly. It's going to take some energy, but I've got the ability to do it. I just have to suit up to, the, to that challenge. So that's what I'd say. Yeah, you know, the, the funny, I was laughing earlier. You know, you're saying that's going to get more complex. I'm like, oh my gosh, Paul, my head's going to explode if it gets more if life gets more complex. I think I'm just going to go to Costa Rica and I'm going to be a surf instructor and I don't know, live in a, a grass hut. So maybe I'll just you know decide to do that. But you know, this idea of I agree with you. I think that for most of us, and me included, I don't ever want this to feel like I'm being judgmental, but for most of us, we do have a deficiency in, in, in that critical thinking. And, you know, you're kind of touching on something that, you know, in performance psychology that I talk about is, does this look like a challenge that I can meet? Or is this a threat that's overwhelming me? And I think that that dividing line where it moves from a challenge to a threat, that's when we start to feel you know, well, I guess the word is we start to feel overwhelmed, right? And once we do that, I don't know, a lot of a lot of maybe crazy things happen. And let's let's go there. You know, early on in the pandemic, I don't have a psychology degree, and I always laugh and I say I'm an armchair psychologist. Paul, you're a real psychologist, so I'm going to ask you. But early on in the pandemic, I said this is not going to go well for not only for the the United States but the the global population. I don't think that that people had the the mental health skills to deal with what was coming. That was what I was kind of seeing, the writing on the wall. If I were to ask you, Paul, and I know this is a generalization, but generalizations are kind of fun. How have we done as a, just, let's just look at the United States. How have we done? How, if you were to give us a grade (laughs) on how we've done throughout the pandemic, I mean, we're seeing people, I mean, of course, there's, we just had a, you know, another mass shooting. We've had race riots. I mean, we can go on and on the headlines, right? In the last two years, people are snapping all the time. How are we doing, Paul? What do you, what do you think? You know, it's a, it's a really great question. I think I'll quote Charles Dickens from A Tale of Two Cities when he, he said, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. I think that we see um, evidence of that in, in the pandemic. And, and the best of times is that we certainly saw science stepping up and you know developing these rna vaccines that really did work to prevent to help to inoculate the public to help you know manage the crisis but to your point ron we entered into this crisis the pandemic not in a good place as as a nation we have and and you showed your 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 engineering background and and reliance on on data when you made the assertion that, you know, we didn't come into this in a, from a good place. And we have robust data. It talks about mental health in the United States. It is really a, at a very low level. We, we have significant challenges across the population with poor mental health, um, rates of anxiety, rates of depression. I mean, it just, you know, there's, there's any one of a number of surveys. The American Psychological Association came out with one fairly recently. You know, so we entered the pandemic not in, in a good place from a mental health standpoint, which has a lot to do with 
you know, people running out of coping skills. I mean, one way to understand mental health challenges is when people run out of coping skills, they become overwhelmed, to use your word. And overwhelm, you know, people, you know there are people who've, who've talked about us having moved into the age of overwhelm. You know, we talk about this in our book on agency. Overwhelm is a real thing. We all have to deal with it. We've all faced it. We all know people who have, have faced it. And, you know, there's certain things that help with that. But as a society, um, you know, people were not well equipped to deal with the pandemic. And, you know, of course, they're, they're, you know, somehow in the United States, it got politicized more. So it wasn't simply in the realm of science. It was in the realm of, you know, framed as something related to freedom, you know, freedom to do what I want to do or what I feel I should do to protect myself. You know, so there was a, you know, there's a lot of suspicion about present about, about science, much of which I would argue is not well-founded. But, you know, to give you, an, to, to answer your question, not to duck it, how did we do? So I said, you know, first off, on, a, on the positive side, we had science rise to the challenge. I would give the United States a D or a D minus, nearly a failing grade. And if we look at a country comparable to ours, look at Australia, they had one-tenth the number of deaths due to COVID that we did. And it actually is in many respects comparable to the United States. They, what did they do differently? Well, one, they didn't politicize it. The country has more trust. They acted more collaboratively and, you know, in concert with each other. So, you know, they, they, they achieved a completely different result than what we achieved. And so, you know, so in this country, for a variety of reasons, but mostly, I think, for reasons you mentioned, Ron, and, and I just mentioned, we didn't enter into the pandemic from a good place. And so people, again, many people, unfortunately, you know, dealing with strong emotion, you know, strong beliefs that, you know, can be stimulated by, you know, something, whatever they read, whatever they're exposed to, you know, the last person they spoke with. There's a significant percentage of Americans, unfortunately, I don't think they know whom to turn to, whom to trust. So they really are struggling to make good decisions for themselves that allow them to adapt successfully to a very challenging situation, in this, in this case, the pandemic. So, so that's my, my answer to your question. You know, it was the best of, of times and it was the worst of times. And, you know, we're not through it. But, you know, the point I would make is we didn't need to have so many deaths. And that was avoidable. It was in baseball terms. It was an unforced error. And, you know, it's but, you know, people want, you know, I understand people wanting to do what they think is best to protect themselves. Absolutely. I mean, that is an expression of agency. But, you know, to, to your earlier question, you know, today in the conversation, is there such a thing as bad agency? Well, there's, there's such a thing as making bad decisions, making poor decisions. And we've all seen we all saw people who unfortunately ended up on their deathbeds saying I wish I had gotten vaccinated. That's horrendous. I mean, that is yeah. that is one of the most painful things I think I've I've seen in a long time is seeing that and seeing their family members having to say goodbye to them. You know, just you know, just unspeakable grief and, and pain. So in any case, it's a it's a it's, these have been really really rough times for us. So you know, fortunately, I, I'm hopeful that we're going to get to a, you know a, a different place anyway, or and hopefully a better place in terms of the pandemic. Yeah, let's, let's, 
gosh, I, I love that. You know, the best of times, worst of times. I, the funny thing is, I've seen some people, and I know some people personally, that are thriving in this environment. And, and so there are some people that are taking, you know, out of chaos comes opportunity. And I see some people that are, that are absolutely living that. And then I see the, the other side where I see people that are suffering through this. And I'll be honest, you know, I always like to say, I, I study mental toughness, resilience, grit, all those things. I try to, you know, have good agency. I try to do all those things right. I think I'm, a, I'm ahead of most people in that area, but I've struggled too. This is not an easy thing. And I would say early on in the pandemic, I'd say the first three months really was a tough transition for me. But I think that the, because of the, the knowledge and the training that I've had, I adjusted fairly quickly. And I just think some people don't have the tools in their toolbox right now to adjust to this, this new, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm tired of hearing the term, but I don't know a better term, the new normal, right? This is, this is what we're doing right now. And maybe there's something there too, is people are waiting for it to go back to the way it was. And here's the deal. It's not going back to the way it was. And the sooner I think we, we embrace that, the better. Yeah, look, I think that, um, you know, what you say, there's, there's wisdom embedded in what you just said. And I think it's important not to judge our, our fellow man and but to try to understand why something happened. You know, I, I, I think conducting a, a post-mortem, you know, when a situation didn't go well, is always a useful thing if you can be open-minded and, and pose the tough questions to try to understand what happened there. Why did this not work out the way it, it could have or the way we, we, we would have wanted it to? You know, what were the various factors that drove the outcome? And what can we learn from about that and, and, and take, take with us as we move forward? It was hard for all of us. I mean, I, I felt the same way. It was overwhelming. It was, it was depressing. It was, you know, it, it was demotivating. It was isolating. It was, you know, worrisome. You know, it was, it was just massive amounts of uncertainty. So it, it was an extremely challenging time. And, you know, I think the, the reality is when we are faced with highly disruptive change, like, like a pandemic, you know, everyone needs to acknowledge that we're, the central goal, one of the most important goals is to position yourself as a learner, which is what I, I mentioned is one of the seven principles of agency. We had to suit up to learn more about what are we dealing with? What is this virus? What it, where did it come from? How does it operate in our bodies? How does it, you know, how does it harm us? How does it evolve? I mean, there's so much we didn't know, right? I mean, and so... You know, I think that that stimulates a lot of anxiety and fear and, of course, overwhelm in, in people. But I think if you if you are, you know, if you if you are aware of that, you know, you you realize, hey, I need to let some of these people do the work they need to do to figure this out. And my sense, my, you know, the only thing I can do is keep myself, you know, reasonably safe in the interim until we learn more about the nature of this beast. And so I think there were a lot of people that just got very upset because, well, you know, you know, nobody knows what they're talking about. Science doesn't know. Nobody knows. Well, of course we didn't know. It took a while 
to figure out what we were dealing with. But again, when we compare our performance to prior pandemics, we actually made significant progress faster than ever before. So again, it, you know, that, that is, you know, one, by one measure is, that is really a sign of success and a sign of progress. Well, if I were to say this, Paul, all right, you know, again, I hope it didn't come across as me being judgmental, but, and, you know, we've, I think I would agree with you. We have not done well. Call it a D minus, call it an F. You know, I've, t- I've asked other psychologists uh, what they thought, and I've heard a couple of people say F. All right, whatever. Okay. Uh, we weren't well prepared for this. It's once in a century, right? What do we do, Paul, for the next, the next, and it doesn't have to be the next pandemic. What do we do for the next storm of life? I like to call it the storm of life. How do we deal with this better? Let's say I hear you, Paul. I've struggled with this. I don't have the right tools in my toolbox, but I want to do better next time. Can you offer a few simple tips on how we can do better when adversity strikes, those storms of life come along? No, it's a great question because there's, there will be more, right? There's more to come. I mean, this was in some ways, I would argue, a dress rehearsal. We're going to face other disruptive challenges and some potentially even on the same scale. So, so you know, disruptive change is here to stay. So first order of business, because as I said before, we are emotional creatures before we're thinking creatures. First order of business is manage your emotions, right? Try to get yourself calm down to, you know, so that you can actually begin to learn what you need to learn to understand, you know, what is the nature of the situation you face? You know, the the only way we can adapt as humans to significant adverse change is through figuring out the nature of the challenge and then making decisions to navigate through that challenge and, and, and get to a better place. So, the, but the first order of business is manage the emotions. Um, Sometimes, you know, I would also argue manage your beliefs. You know, and this is a useful time just to say what you know what are belief what are beliefs and how do they operate? You know, with the the human animal. Well, you know, essentially beliefs are among other things. You know, it's important to note beliefs are basically shortcuts to thinking. We when we are faced with incoming information or a situational challenge. We often do a scan and search for our memory banks for a belief that we can pull, pull, pull out and help us to, to navigate as a shortcut. It, it, it enables us to say, oh, I, I, I've experienced something like this before and here's what I need to do. Beliefs are something all humans have, of course. But again, if we understand beliefs to be shortcuts to thinking, you know, it helps because beliefs are not, beliefs can help, beliefs can hurt. And when we use a belief inappropriately because we think it gives us the answer to whatever we're, whatever challenging situation we're facing, and it doesn't, it's actually not applicable. It, it, you know, it basically distorts our decision-making. And so I would say, you know, the pandemic is a good example. You know, it's not something that happens, to your point, you know, but every hundred years, hopefully. And, you know, it was a situation that, you know, we don't have a ready-made belief because none of us had lived through a, a global pandemic before. So it did require, it requires us to actually think 
right? To actually, again, use our capacity to try to think more critically as, as humans. That This idea of managing your emotions, managing your beliefs is the first go-to thing when you're faced with an extraordinary challenge. And, and, and the pandemic certainly was an extraordinary challenge. So, but, but a lot of people were not successful in doing that, right? They didn't get calmed down to a place where they were able to engage their best thinking skills. So, but that is a starting point. And, you know, getting to a calm place allows you to be more thoughtful and deliberate as you try and think something through. And that is the goal because a lot of times, you know, we reach for a, a, a ready-made belief off the shelf. And if we're not careful, if we're not certain that it actually really does apply, then that sort of shortcut to thinking can lead us astray. So, so it is a, it is a challenge, an ongoing challenge for human beings to one, manage their emotions, two, manage their beliefs, three, engage in more critical thinking, you know, especially when they're faced with daunting challenges. You don't have to do that every day. You don't have to, you don't have to engage in critical thinking when you go to the supermarket and try to make a decision between buying peas or broccoli. That, that doesn't require you to engage in, you know, and if you do, you know, if that is a big challenge, you know, that, then you may be on the obsessive end of the spectrum, like we talked about earlier. And, you know, that's a different problem, right? Yeah. I appreciate that you say manage emotions. A lot of people will try to say control emotions. I don't like that word control. Emotions are, are wily little things and they're powerful. And I think the, the best we can, we can hope for is to manage them. And then, you know, on the topic of beliefs, gosh, it sounds so simple, right? But God, you know, when, when we have faulty beliefs and, and we need to either, you know, change those or, or maybe just get rid of those beliefs, that's a threat to our ego, right? And so we see this a lot right now of people won't let go. They, they just, like a pit bull, latch onto those beliefs and, and they don't want to relinquish what they believe in. And, and, it, and it inhibits learning. I mean, that's the point. Absolutely. I mean, Close-minded. Right, exactly. And that's the thing, to position yourself as a learner in your life. And this is, of course, particularly important when you're facing a significant challenge. You know, you need to suspend some of those beliefs. You need to hold them at bay and allow yourself to be inquisitive, right? To, to get curious, to pose the difficult questions. Ideally, that's what we, we need to do as humans. So, yeah, so beliefs can, can at times, you know, of course, they can help us, right? They sometimes are a good shortcut to, you know, having to put in the hard time and energy to think through something more deeply if they're applicable. But if they get in the way of the learning we need to do, then obviously they play a destructive role, not a helpful role. Yeah, you know, another word that you might hear thrown around that I think is exactly what you're talking about is mental models, right? And I've seen, you know, through my research that mental, faulty mental models can get you killed. You know, I study survival situations where people have a faulty mental model that they won't let go of, and it ends up killing them. And we talked about earlier some beliefs around, maybe around the, the vaccination, has killed more, more, way more people in this country than, than it should have. And so, well, I, I, I mean, that's exactly, it's so powerful. That's exactly right. I want to make one quick point, which is, and leave, you know, I want your listeners to hear, hear about this other related concept to human agency. And the word is metacognition. Metacognition is a $25 word that simply means thinking about 
the quality of our own thinking. Now, this is, you know, a uniquely human attribute that we actually have the ability to do this if, if we choose to, if we attempt to do so. We can actually step back and try and reflect on the quality of our own thinking. Now, when you're going through a, a significant challenge, obviously, you know, that adds a, a dimension of difficulty to actually be reflecting on and thinking about the quality of your own thinking as you go through, you know, a, a crisis. We actually can do that. We can train ourselves to get better at doing that. And there's some really simple questions that we can ask ourselves and, and, and those around us that help spur metacognition, that help in, increase it. Simple questions such as, what are we missing? You know, what, what, what information might we, might we be missing? What if we're wrong? Or what else could this be? You know, simple kinds of really, you call them doubles advocate type questions. Those kinds of things spur greater metacognition. And we do, I mean, one of the things about critical thinking is that, you know, when we engage in a healthy amount of metacognition, you know, we, we generally have, we, we're engaging in our better thinking skills. So, so sometimes just those posing those simple questions when you're dealing with a, a, you know, a complex problem or issue can help you to engage in a better mental model to, to your, your point, Ron. So anyways, I just wanted to insert that. Absolutely. Well said. And, you know, not only to train yourself to ask those questions, but as Paul said, let me emphasize it again. You need to be curious and be open to a new reality. It's one thing to pose the question, but it's also another thing to say, hey, I've got, I'm not thinking about this the right way. And, and the only way we can do that is being curious and open-minded. This could go on forever, Paul. We could do this, and, you know, I want to get you out of here, though. So let's start to wrap this up. What do you, what's going on in your world, Paul? Are you writing another book? Or are you, I mean, what's, how can people work with you? They say, this Paul guy's amazing. I want to work with Paul. How do they do that? Well, I'm, I'm, right now I'm focused on my coaching work. I, I work with individuals, you know, primarily people in business, uh, who, who are in leadership roles and help them become more effective as problem solvers and as leaders in, in leading in groups of individuals. So, so that's primarily what I've been focused on since publishing the book. And obviously, like everybody else, getting through the pandemic successfully and uh, did a full transition to working virtually. But that's primarily what I'm doing. So people reach out to me through my website, powerofagency.com, you know, with questions, with you know, observations, personal observations. I, you know, always love hearing from from people out there in terms of what, what they're dealing with. Also do speaking engagements a fair amount with different organizations on topics related to human agency. That's my primary focus right now. Very good. Sounds like a lot of fun. And I know you're about ready to run off to one of those, those events after we get done here. Let's, uh, let's go to the signature last question. As you all know that, that listen to the podcast on a regular basis, we're going to talk about failure because I love failure. I want to normalize failure. Everybody experiences it, even successful people like Paul. So, Paul, what if you're comfortable, what is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, it's a really interesting question. And I haven't been asked that question in a long time or ever. And like most people, you know, I've had many, I've had many failures along the way. And, you know, it's, it's hard to figure out which one is the biggest one. But I'll, I'll take you back to my 20s. 
where I was working on Wall Street in, in the investment business as, as an analyst. And I was, in, I was in a relationship. I was young. I was just in, in my mid to late 20s, probably 26, 27. And my work was going pretty well. But I was really, really struggling in a relationship. And honestly, I couldn't figure out what was going on and why it was so hard and why I felt so miserable and, and and the relationship was failing and and was someone I cared about deeply. And I I felt completely lost and upended. And you know, and I and, and so how did I handle it? Well, you know, it's interesting. I I uh I did seek some help at the time to to get some advice. You know, unfortunately for me, I couldn't find a reliable source of help. And you know, that's a another story about how that all went, but you know, reaching out to some mental health professionals to help me sort that as this out uh, was not helpful to me at the time. And, you know, being kind of a uh, more of a can do type of human being, I actually made a very pivotal life decision in that moment. And I actually recall this felt this, this strong feeling I had at that time, which was that I don't ever want to be in a situation like this again in my life where I'm this confused and this loss, and I can't figure out why, what's going on, why I'm so caught up in this problem and can't, can't see my way clear to solve it. Um, that was really when I decided I wanted to become a psychologist. I wanted to learn more deeply about, you know, the human condition, how I'm put together, you know, and, you know, it, it may sound a little crazy to your listeners, but it was serious. And I actually left you know, the, the investment business behind, I transitioned out of working in, a, in an office downtown in Los Angeles to working at a residential treatment center for troubled adolescents in, you know, in Malibu, which was kind of a, a, an intangible benefit. Did that for a year while I took some coursework at UCLA in psychology, then applied to graduate school, then then got a doctorate in psychology, and you know, so the rest is history. But but that was a I would call that a, a great failure because you know it couldn't resolve that relationship, and and you know, and I think I did achieve a reasonably good outcome through learning more about all of what I just said, and, and allowed me to not repeat. I, I never found myself in exactly that same situation ever again, you know, learning more in depth about how we tick as human beings. So, so that would be you know, perhaps an example of one, one of my, my bigger failures. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then... Join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.